Welcome back to another Racing Matters podcast. Um, it's been a very busy week. Um, Becky, obviously everyone listening is extremely keen to know how your fitness quest is coming on after you revealed to Ali Vance last week that you couldn't move after doing a few press-ups. Um, what's the status? Yeah, no heat pad on my neck this week. I had my last session on Tuesday um, and I did tell him, please take it easy on me. And he stuck to his word. So yeah, all good this week. But the last one I'll be doing for a month or so. So Yeah, well, um, good luck with that and exercising <laughs> at home. Now, another person who I know likes to get out and about and is going to be hampered by lockdown, especially on the golf front, is uh, today's guest. Uh, I'm joined, or we're joined by Josh Appiaffi. Afternoon, Josh. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, how are you feeling about golf lockdown? I went out on a high, played this afternoon, played yesterday. <laughs> so I, I got a bit in before we finished. Uh, how am I feeling? It's this sort of time of year that, to be honest, the clubs go away unless yeah. they're getting on an aeroplane. So, uh, yeah. yeah, they may be seen again in the UK post Cheltenham. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the fair weather front. Um, for our the legions of listeners that tune into the Racing Matters podcast, um, many of you will recognise Josh from Sky Sports Racing, um, even though that's a relatively new thing. Um, but Josh has had a long career to date in uh, racing, and we're going to get into all that stuff soon. Um, Josh, we uh, we've known each other for a few years now during this, uh, just whilst we've been setting up Racing League and all that stuff. Um, how did you uh, get into racing uh, to begin with? Why don't you just fill in uh, the blanks for, for people? Wow. Um, the, I'll start with the first couple of blanks. How did I get into it? I used to ride um, horses and ponies as a, as a child uh, from the, I think I was five when the first time I threw a leg over a pony. Um, but I didn't have an, a straightaway a love for horses, which most people do, a bit pet-wise or animal-wise. It was my um, my white knuckle, my extreme sport of the. Um, it was 1980 then that I threw a leg over a horse for the first time. So um, it was that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go as fast as possible over as big offences as possible, and um, and did that till I was about. 12 years old on some poor old ponies that couldn't go as fast as I actually wanted them to go to or, or going at hedges that were far too big. And um, my dad, who was a pilot, so my parents weren't into horse racing at all, or horses really. Um, my dad, who was a pilot, was flying one day and um, down at Malaga. Um, he was a captain and his first officer turned up before, obviously before the passengers and he walked in and he had a black eye. And um, my dad was sort of like, oh, geez, don't let the passengers see you. And um, Stuck him in the cockpit and said, we'll have a chat on the way down to Malaga. Uh, loaded the passengers up and uh, flew off down to Malaga and said, OK, how did you get the black eye? Thinking it was in some fight. And this guy turned around and he said, I don't know if you'll believe me, but it's God's honest truth. I got it riding in the Grand National last week. And um, <laughs> this guy had enough cash. Back then, pilots were paid you know, a good, good few times the, the normal average wage of and um, had enough money to have a couple of horses himself. Didn't have kids, I know what that's like, so you can definitely own horses if you haven't got kids. Um, <laughs> and, um, and one of them was good enough to run the Grand National, and uh, it gave him a slap. He got a black eye. And then, so my dad turned around and goes, 
you know, my son rides horses. Dads are always on about career, career, career. Um, any chance you'll, um, you'd take my son racing? And, um, and this guy said, absolutely no problem at all. Because apparently, according to my dad, if a captain asks you anything, you have to say yes. Um, and I was off to Ludlow races within a week uh, and saw it and said, that's exactly what I want to do. Even though at the time I was about six foot tall, um, I still sort of went down that route. Uh, and what, um, what would you say is a racing memory which has really stuck with you? Wow. Positive or negative? <laughs> we're all about, we're all about positivity here. Brilliant. <laughs> all about positivity. Um, a positive memory. Um, um, well, there's one place in the country where people say, what's your favourite race course? And most people say Cheltenham or, uh, or the likes. And my favourite race course is Utopster for various reasons and all of which are memories. Um, I rode my last winner there in 1995. I met my wife there, who was the commercial director under Rod Street, uh, who was the boss there at the time in 2002. Um, and we were very lucky to, one of the horse that Abby and I owned won the Midlands Grand National uh, in 2013 there. So they're my three memories of one place. So a, a multiple answer to one question. Yeah. So it holds a very special place in your heart. Absolutely. Um, and you have been working in the industry since you left school. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your um, career timeline and your racing journey? Sure. Did you, what industry did you say I'd been in since I left school? Do you say marketing or... Um, racing in general. Racing in general. Sorry, I couldn't hear. Um, <laughs> it's Lambord Internet. Um, <laughs> My career in general, so very quickly, um, and then you can dive in wherever you want. I left school at 16. Um, I moved 250 miles away from home and worked for the then champion, tra 13 times champion trainer, Martin Pipe, um, and was an amateur jockey there. His son's of a similar age to me, David, who's now a leading trainer. Uh, him and I became best mates. Um, and it's the only time I ever looked like a jockey because he's six foot five and I'm six foot. So I always used to walk out next to him. So I looked a bit smaller. Um, I was there for a couple of years, went back to college um, for a year where there was a, a course for racehorse training and business management that lasted for a couple of years, uh, which I was the first group that went through and did it, um, which was a BTEC. Um, and then I went off and I rode in America for a year. Uh, I'm still riding. I rode as an amateur, so I was like, 21 um came back and because i didn't have a levels or um or went to university i struggled to get onto the sort of other side of the sport in terms of the commercial and administrative side of the sport which is what i wanted to do because i realized you couldn't um i was privileged enough in terms of my dad was a pilot my mum was a teacher so we had a decent upbringing i realized i wouldn't be able to have that level of lifestyle that i wanted um just riding horses so uh, and then and then applied for all sorts of different jobs and the day I couldn't I didn't get an interview for um, I think it was the administration assistant at market raising Racecourse. Um, I decided that it was time I went and did something myself because if uh, if no one's going to give you a hand or an opportunity then you need to make your own and, um, and it took me about a year and I launched my first business which was a company called Rewards uh, not Rewards uh, Racing Link um, and that was a stand that went around every race course in Britain promoting 
every different part of the industry really that from horses for sale to trips to the Arc de Triomphe to a 10 pound free bet with Labrooks to all sorts of different things and people paid to have their promotional literature on the on the unit um what I did it did make and well it made money but it covered its cost uh, really and what I hadn't realized was the amount of contacts I got through doing it uh, and that they got to know Josh who'd it was hopefully pretty got a hard work ethic and but it was a decent enough guy and um and then when foot and mouth hit um you know i had to close the business down um i had to remortgage i never went bankrupt remortgage my house um that i got at the time and um and didn't really know what i was going to do and got lots of job offers uh with on a commission basis and um but that was because i had a lot of clients on my arm and uh, what i actually needed was some firm cash and um, after doing sort of six months uh, consultancy, um, one of my last clients, which was a, a small dot com, came on uh, came up to me and said, "Listen, we've got a we started this business to focus on football and two or three result sports, and horse racing's taken off, and we need someone to lead our marketing and racing arm. And um, would you come on board?" And that company <laughs> was Betfair. There was twenty eight people there. Um, I think I joined when, they, when it was this sort of left. It took about three or four months to get everything sorted, and off I toodled where I met um, Ed and Bert. Um, Bert and I still own horses together today. Um, and I left when there was fifteen hundred, and I could spend forty more than forty minutes, probably four days, telling you about some of the stories that happened at that place in a in a four year period. So, uh, sorry, in a six year period, left there in two thousand and there we go, it's right seven. Uh, did two years at the Jockeys Association. Um, it's quite difficult to leave um, Betfair. Well, not difficult to leave, but it was easy to leave Betfair, but pe- to, to, to find the right route, exit route out of Betfair was difficult because f- people still perceived it as one of the most amazing things. And it was, for the first five years, this amazing company, entrepreneurial, hardworking, taking on the establishment, which I think defines my career to date, that I <laughs> challenge the norm, Martin Pipe, Challenge the norm, which is probably ingrained in me from 16. Betfair, exactly the same. And I think the likes of Rewards for Racing, um, that's now 10 years old, and, um, and also doing all the work that I'm doing currently on diversity and inclusion within the sport. It's challenging a very dusty industry about some of the st- morals and standings that it currently has. Um, and I think that's, and I enjoy it. Do I enjoy it? Yes. But if, if the cause is right, then absolutely. Um, Anyway, so I did the Jockers Association for a couple of years. Um, always had rewards racing in the back of my mind, but I had to wait for the, for the market to be right. I looked at it in about 2007 and the market wasn't right. And the reason being that um, the majority of tickets that were bought um, in 2007, uh, when I say the majority, around 75% were over the phone or walk-ups. By 2011, when we launched rewards for racing, 80% had gone online. And that was due to the fact that the, uh, expansion of me of uh, music nights and people aren't going to turn up to a to an event to see UB40 or Tom Jones about a ticket compared to going racing so that started that change and I think also that racing's audience are um, uh, well they statistically are older uh, and it just took them a little bit longer than most to to, um, to get on board in terms of online purchasing and uh, and tickets and what have you and and you know Still only sort of a couple of years ago, you know, 50% of Cheltenham's membership was still done by sort of check. (laughs) I can't remember the last time I signed a check. So so that's it. And so, listen, well, I say that's it. Rewards Racing launched in 2011. Um, I was part of, well, 
a four-man team that raised 120 million to go and buy the tote three well it started three years ago we bought it 100 percent a year ago now um and i consult as a on there it used to be quite a cool thing to be the senior advisor until dominic cummings came along but yeah. <laughs> I, i'm the senior advisor to their board at the tote um and then obviously um sky sports racing was the, was the final element uh or the final hat so i currently wear three hats of sky sports racing rewards for racing and and a consultant to the tote yeah and um can you explain to people who don't know what uh rewards for racing is about sure it's uh it's british racings and when i say british racing i can say that because one we're the only one but secondly um our shareholder base um is the three founders um the racing post and and the jockey club but we've got the likes of arc i think we're one of the only um businesses out there that, that can include the two main rival course yeah. uh, groups as uh, clients and close friends. Uh, we've also That's like bringing together board. Biden and Trump in the same room. <laughs> I have been known to be called the Kofi Annan of racing. <laughs> uh, and maybe this underlines <laughs> the good. fact. Um, what it is, it's, it's, it's one of those businesses that I have to say, it's, it's non-political, which is great. But then secondly, it's good for everybody. And the reason why I can say it's good for everybody is that for the consumer, um they can if they're loyal to the brands that we have available and we've got four thousand retailers four bookmaker partners and 31 race courses when they spend with them they get a, a percentage of their spend back in points to the same monetary value so and for those with those points um you can buy any ticket to those 31 race meetings so if there's only one ticket left on gold cup day unlike air miles that's got like two seats per flight if there's one ticket left on Gold Cup there, you could use 100% points to go and buy it. Um, we've got over a million members. Um, and yeah, obviously the, the problem we've got at the moment is people's points balances are going up because of, you know, I so say we've got 4,000 online retailers and what are the two things that have done well through, uh, or the three things that have done well, one is pharma, which is nothing to do with, but online retailers and, uh, and bookmaking and gaming are the things that have, have done okay or done well through COVID and, and through lockdown. And, so people's points balances are going up and up and up, but obviously they've got nowhere to spend them currently. Um, that's not open. at the moment. We haven't seen that as a problem. We've had no um, no queries from people, but we are going to look to see where people can one, let's say, do mornings on the gallops uh, and other experiences, um, perhaps until they can come back to a race course. But um, seventy percent of points are going through betting, and it naturally just happens that. We dedupe every week and every and uh, with the bookmaking companies, they send through a, uh, a file to us, not with people's names on it, secured and uh, in terms of coded, but then it will spit out how many points are allocated. So if you basically, if you get 1% of your bet stake back uh, in points, which is like I say, is the main one. But if you look at other retailers like uh, hotels.com, so let me see, I'll tell you how this works. So hotels.com, if you bought a, a £100 hotel room on hotels.com, you'd receive between 8 and 10%. Depends what they're offering that week. Let's call it 10 because it makes it easier. Um, they'll, give, they'll give £10 in rewards for racing points. Um, that'll credit to your account um, straight after you've stayed in that hotel, uh, obviously in case you go and um, cancel that hotel room. Straight afterwards, you'll get £10 in points. And if it was the following day, you'd get it within 24 hours. But you can then go and spend um, either part pay or full pay for a ticket uh, and it is as easy as that. So I, I like rewards for racing a lot because I think that it 
it brings a certain level of familiarity uh, in, in points acquisition and stuff to people who don't necessarily understand racing, but, uh, but can understand how the system works. I think people understand affiliates and I think they, people like loyalty and rewards. And it's something that sport in general is desperately lacking. And I think that uh, rewards for racing leads the way in that if you consider compared to football or rugby where there's no similar thing really and i know that rewards four is getting into yeah. that side of it but the problem you've got there ollie is, is that people support a team and you, and you know they don't support football you know so that's why racing has really worked because you su you support the sport as in you know you're a fan of racing you know there's no one that's a uh, uh, just a sole fan of Frankie Dettori and a fan of Ryan Moore and a fan of William Buick. They are just a, a fan of racing compared to you wouldn't get Manchester United and Man City doing the same thing out of pure. It's a bit, <laughs> it was nearly like, oh, and the jockey club I was about to say, but all of a sudden they've done it. But um, no, I, there's I, no I, rivalry in, 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 race, in, in, uh, in racing in terms of that fan base. I get that. My, my side is more because you know much like the racing league idea and others is about returning value to fans as someone who has a season ticket a premiership club and now has to pay extra to watch on box office if i earn premier league points by buying tickets and i could redeem them in some form of media or whatever it would just engender that little bit more loyalty than i already have you know i've got as you say loyalty to the club is kind of a given but when there's so much entertainment around when there's so many options the great thing about rewards for racing is oh, look, I've got X hundred points. I didn't even remember I had. Let's go racing next weekend, you know? And that's, that's the, the offline marketing bit that I, I think is good about it. Now, I mentioned it sort of brings into play things that society at large kind of understand. Um, let's, let's start getting into the, the, the more nitty gritty stuff now. One of the questions that uh, Becky scooped from the youth of today was, do you think racing as a whole represents society at large and, you know, top down from the leadership through to the participants and then more importantly, and perhaps the most, the biggest group of all the, the race goers themselves. Um, Cause we'll obviously get onto diversity for obvious reasons, but this is kind of the precursor to that. So how, how do you think racing? So you're, so you're talking gender then if you're not talking diversity? No, I think like when you, when you look at, society at large for example football was always the people's game right you know it's working man's sport blah 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 i don't know if it really does represent society anymore the players certainly don't but for example i've always said in racing it's the most incredibly diverse demographic in terms of social um strata you've got ted in the bookshop uh, so in the bookmakers and then you've got the queen at the other end and they all like watching the same game and all the rest of it but do you think that the leadership participants and people that go to racing as a whole, gender, diversity, do you think it represents society or do you think it's still a bit of a microcosm? Uh, I think on a diversity front, which like I said, we can come into in a minute, I think it's got, it's got miles to go uh, in terms of what it looks like society. But I also know the reasons, or I, I, I have opinions around the reasons why that is. Um, I think on a gender, I'm talking about leadership and working in it at the moment, and then I'll yeah. come on to uh, the audience in a second. Um, I think that women in racing and the work and effort of some strong-willed females, which has been brilliant over the last decade, has, well, 
turned the whole thing on its head. Um, and uh, up until the, the um, very public departure of one of them, you know, you had the most powerful people in the sport were all female, really. You know, you, um, well, you've got one coming, you've got Julie Harrington coming in, who, who, who used to run Utoxter, another, yeah. <laughs> another big up for Utoxter. <laughs> um, and um, you've obviously got Maggie, who's the chair of the Racecourse Association. Um, you've got Anna Louise Phelps, um, Marie Phelps, sorry, at uh, the BHA. Um, there's, you know, obviously Dealey was at the Jockey Club. So there's, there's some, there's some, there were some very powerful women, which I think it was brilliant for the sport because it gives it a completely different angle. Our sport is still full of middle to old age white males. And if you go to any of these, I, I don't go to any of them um, anymore. Uh, these sort of Christmas bashes that they used that they have of Derby Awards and all this kind of stuff. It's embarrassing when you look around the room. Um, yeah. And that I, I, I started to become uncomfortable with. Um, there will be a programme coming out shortly, uh, which is me interviewing Rishi Pasad, um, who turned up five minutes late at one of those last year. There'll probably be a thousand people there and a very senior member of one of the organisations we've been racing walked out and asked him where the toilets were. And um, he said, oh, I'm here for the do. And he's like, he said, but I don't know where the, the toilets are. I think they're just down there. And Rishi turns around and goes, I'm actually coming to the do. I actually interviewed you and your wife about six months ago. Wow. And the bloke tried to laugh it off. And Rishi jokingly said, um, oh, God, this would make a hilarious diary piece, wouldn't it? And the guy came up to him and stuck his fingers face and said, don't you effing dare. So there are a lot of things that need to happen on that front. But I think it's generally... I've realised there's no point in going up against it, Ollie, and I'm moving towards it now. Um, and it's unique how you don't go against it. What you do is you work on a 20-year plan, and and it's it's two generations it takes to change stuff. Um, going back, and I'll come on to that in a second. Going back to your in terms of the demographic profiling of of race goers, um, I think it's good. We're really we're really quite we're, we're pretty good in terms of sport on a on a gender front. I think it's a lot less masculine going racing now. Um, I think music nights have helped uh, along the way that people experience it, but they can mask some of the stats there because if they've turned up to see Tom Jones, it doesn't mean they're going to go racing again at whatever yeah. racetrack that they've, they've been at before. And if you include those stats, which we don't, interestingly, at um, R4R when we're doing our internal dashboards, you know, trying to get someone who's been to see Tom Jones to go at Kempton Park to go back to Kempton Park is... There's just no point trying. And we tried for a significant amount of time thinking it would happen, as did the race course. So unless you put Tom Jones or a similar genre on, and then you've got a nice music database, which I think this is why the Jockey Club brought out Jockey Club Live and all that kind of stuff sort of five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, and then I think, I think you're right. In terms of the diversity of the meetings, um, it, it's great because some of my favourite meetings are at like Kelso and, and Cartmel, which I've had fun. It kept, in the middle of Kelso Grandstand, there's an open fire, um, so cool. like a hearth that you nice. can sit on an old leather chair. I mean, it is absolutely fantastic. So yeah, um, those are the kind of things and the reasons why I love this sport so much. But I do want to see uh, more people of colour enjoying, uh, enjoying it in terms of the participation, in terms of um, audience. I think the reason, one of the reasons behind that, look, I took my dad to Cheltenham for the first time 10 years ago and nothing's changed since and, and dad walked in uh, and we were walking down the hill before they'd done all the, all the changes um, 
and they tu- and dad turned around to me looking round. It was packed, obviously, and he just turned around. And he went, "Mate, there are not a lot of brothers here, are there?" <laughs> and he basically said, "Have you brought me to a Ku Klux Klan convention?" <laughs> Seventy-five thousand white blokes, yeah. and there was me, Dad. I didn't know where he'd come and meet Rish because Rish has pretty much been the other one there. And, and when I brought this up on a on a uh, on TV on one of the debate shows, the abuse I got on uh, on Twitter and stuff like, and I still do to this day, is if if they don't agree with it, they bring race into it very quickly. And so there is, and it's not just me. We we have um, support. Um, both people, lines, um, and everything at Sky, um, because other sports presenters of colour get that as well. So we we get together quite often in terms of be it online or socially uh, and discuss these type of things. Um, there's not a lot you can do other than just keep blocking um, these Neanderthals. But um, it, it is, it, it, yeah, it does gnarl at you sometimes. But um, <clears throat> like I say, we're here for the next generation, not... Um, not, we're not going to change some of these people, so let's not even try. So, I mean, apart from acknowledging there's there's work to be done, and um, we'll come on to the 20-year thing just after this, but are there any areas of racing that have been successful in your eyes so far, at least promoting? You know, we were going to ask you the basic question. I think we mentioned it on the WhatsApp the other day, what does success look like in this area? But at least promoting the idea of, of greater diversity, if not yet having achieved it. Is there anything that you think, like, you know what, they've done a good job there, or that's, that's, that's the right way to be going about it? Um, it's a good question, and I wish I could go, and come out with 20 yeah. different things, and that's the problem that I can't. And because we're at the start of the journey, um, I... Um, quietly uh, this is the first time actually in public that i've actually said it um i i quit the diversity and racing steering group at the beginning of this year um it had been going for two and a half years i was infused when it, ca- it came about but it it became a talking shop um very quickly far too many people on it um it's great to and there's some lovely people on it and some very good friends that are on it um but equally it was but it was box ticking um, there was no actions from um, each meeting. There were no, you do this, you do that, come back feedback, how you got on, X, Y, and Z. It was like, um, it was really an extension, I felt, of women in racing. Um, so it, I, I eventually just said, look, I'm going to go and do my own stuff. And I've hopefully, touch wood, had a, had a cracking year at, um, at doing some of my own stuff to promote diversity within the sport to um i mentor quite a few people um well i can mention any names um and i've started off a few things you know we started step on track launched uh the half term just gone a couple of weeks ago so that was for uh, and that wasn't just due to me that was but it was probably due to me putting on quite a bit of pressure um the next one that i've just changed is um that the bha graduate course uh, is now going to be open to non-graduates as well. I'd have loved to have gone on that course. In yeah, I actually, it's funny. I, 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 I thought that a couple of years ago that, you know, it's a bit of a bit of an outdated term. These so days. I publicly called for it. It's a fantastic course. It's yeah. a brilliant course. But the thing yeah. is that then it had graduates who obviously you are of a, either a certain standard or equally 
that you're privileged enough to go to university because it now costs yeah. rather than back in my ancient day it didn't cost to go to university but um you know you're now at a certain level this course is so good you're going to go in way of you're going to be the, the the gap between those that did and didn't grows and i actually wanted to go okay do you want to bring these people down i just want to give more people the opportunity yeah um and i, I put my money where my mouth is and i turn around and say well we'll, we'll be a sponsor of the program um and we, we will be taking our first applicant next year uh and i obviously went back saying i have no problem with this person went to university or not there was there was it's not when you try and change stuff um and i've seen it uh, i see it on a on a weekly basis the first reaction when you try and change stuff is people will go even very defensive uh and go there's no problem here whatsoever and basically don't come sniffing or trying to change anything here because it's been there for so long and we've got a lot of people in jobs within the sport that have been there for decades some of them um and it was only with you know with Richard Fitzgerald and Simon Buzzard disappearing in the you know they've both been in the same role for you know 10 or 12 years you know that there are people that <clears throat> and they you need this change of people and, I, and I'm not yeah. saying that people should be fired or have a certain tenure um but generally the average chief executive lasts three and a half to four years I think so. I think it's actually three and a half now, whereas ours lasts for a decade. So if there's not a great relationship between one bit of the industry and another by two chief executives, that doesn't change, and it even it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So you hope with the different, with a bit of a change change around, and we're going to get a new chief executive of the job. Even if it's Nevin stays in the same spot, he gets on a lot better with Martin Crudis than Simon Badger ever did. So there's all you know, which is good because then we can start moving again together as as a sport. So it's it is tough Ollie. i i can't give you loads and loads of things that are doing because i do believe that the sport is on the it has to change um so i've done the first two documentaries that have come out so far which is um what well, first one was with sean levy and the second one was with slay kavama and both of them were really have been really interesting actually because i'd say i'm the sort of a generation on from them um and they definitely haven't faced even half as much of uh, hurdles that I, I, I perceive. I, I thought maybe it was just <laughs> maybe it was just me, um, but then I interviewed Rishi, who's obviously a long-time friend of mine, exactly the same age. We're both forty-five, um, and he'd been through the same hurdles, even though he had a privileged background and went to boarding school, all this kind of stuff. He'd been through those same hurdles, so I do think that gradually barriers are coming down for people to come through. But when I asked. Like Sean Levy, the question when he said, "Oh, I don't, I didn't get that much, you know, racism and that stuff coming through," and I turn around and say, "Well, why aren't there more of you? You know, look yeah. around the room." Yeah, he hasn't got an answer for that, and he's, and I'm a big uh, fan of the of the phrase, "If you can't see it, you can't be it." And yeah. you know, I've, I've talked Sean through this, and so I'm going to start doing a lot more with Sean in terms of he needs to be that pin up on the wall. Um, for people to see so I did uh, this first doc was with Sean the second one was with Seleka uh, he's got a great job now as director of racing at Aintree and the third one uh, I've done is with, like I say with Rich so I've got media race course jockey and participant I'm, I'm next going to go and do um, stable staff and some of the yards and some great stuff that the, some of these leading trainers do for their staff so it's just getting out there and, and making, making it aware and I think racing's biggest problem is we are a rural sport uh, the majority of our race courses, excuse me, are um, 
are not in the city and the majority of ethnic minorities are inner city communities um which is why people go oh well i walked into the bookies and there was a guy from china there's a, there's a rastafarian there's a little bit you know it's the most diverse place going that's because the bookie is in their community and in some way shape or form we have got to take racing to their community and there are yeah. a few things that i'm working on with at sky i can't announce yet of how we start taking racing to those communities look i think um i i've caught some of the uh, docs that you've done i really enjoyed them um and look fetches before we just move on i've got <laughs> i actually about two years ago so we'd been doing chr racing league for about a year then and you had well you and i when we first met actually you said to me you're going to have a lot of hurdles and a lot of people blocking you and all that so we've been at it for a year um i'd crashed through a few hurdles i jumped over a few and i'd slipped at a few and one thing i thought was what because I didn't grow up in racing and I'm not a racing professional, but I've come from a very, very different working background before racing is that this might help in terms of diversity. The fact that I've lived and worked in Morocco, Rwanda, India, the Philippines and all this stuff and had managed teams and, and worked for people from all over the world, completely different cultural backgrounds and all of that. So I applied for, to the diversity and racing steering committee on that basis. And I wrote a nice thing saying, look, I mean, I'm as diversely, uh, aware as anyone and I think it might be helpful but I got the kind of no thank you we're looking for someone who's more racing-y and uh, <laughs> I just you know it just you, you couldn't really make up the sort of you know thanks but no thanks and it was quite obvious that um, it was because you know perhaps a perceived lack of knowledge of racing or whatever but and, and you don't need any you don't need any racing knowledge well that's it's, that's it's, really was how do you engage how do you engage people uh, yeah and, and uh, the, yeah, the anyway. problem most most businesses have now, Ollie, is they, they don't know where to start. They they go right. Let's have a diversity group, and you, um, and have three people concentrate. Then it gets you know swallowed up into an HR department. And it's also you can't throw stones in glass houses. You need to know where you're at. So the first piece of advice, and I'm not I'm not a professional in how you raise you know diversity levels and what have you, um, but I can only go from the experience that I've got on what engages. What engages me, what engages my kids, um, but you also need to know where you're starting from, and that people feel both secure in a workplace, and that it is a a, a, a workplace that's open to diversity. So, in both um, the Tote and uh, at Sky Sports Racing, we've done a questionnaire to, to to staff to find out more about, and then, you know, of which no one had done a questionnaire for a long, long time to find out what people's opinion, and it was anonymous questionnaire, so. It's been yeah. quite eye-opening for the individuals. Before you start, we start criticising elsewhere, you need to make sure your own house is in order, which is generally what I've done. I'm very lucky that um, Rewards for Racing is actually based up in the Midlands. Um, and you'd think, geez, you, you know, you'd struggle for diversity up there. But I'm delighted to say we've got, you know, 25 to, I think it's actually 27 employees now. I think we've got three non-whites. The senior management team is actually 60% uh female um so it's you know and there's there's no gen i think the gender pay gap's the other way so, <laughs> so um so and, and did we did we consciously do that yes we did um and there are some times that you do need to uh, make a stand and, and say okay but where the problem is that i have and i need that needs addressing is you can never blame someone if he is present he or she as an employer is is presented with 10 let's say 
for a, an admin assistant is presented with 10 females who are white between 21 and 27, you can't blame him for employing a white female aged yeah. between 21 and 27. Yeah, and it's, it's the, the same it's, if you've got 10, 10, black, 10 white blokes that are presented to an employer, he's going to employ a white bloke. So what we need to do is make sure that, that racing becomes an option. And at the moment, it yeah. isn't an option. And, and so we can't criticise the employers within racing. So what we need to do is start, this is why I was saying, we need to start at the beginning and make it an option from racing to school, which is a fantastic initiative. Yeah. But then it doesn't link into careers in racing or it doesn't link it. And what it, where it falls down um, racing to school is they give these kids an amazing time the kids come back buzzing, just like if my kids go and try something new, they, they, they think it's the second coming. And then what they do is that, mum, dad, can we go racing? Can we go racing? And even some of the race courses give their parents a couple of badges and they turn up and it is nothing like the day that the kid had that went behind the scenes, met Frankie Dettori, went in the weighing room, put silks on, had a tour of the stables, went and looked at the last fence. And what I've said to Rod Street is, Surely we need to, uh, a week in the summer holidays, not big meetings, or two weeks in the summer holidays, which is the follow-on for racing to school, which is where the kids bring their parents, bring your parents to the races, which you call it, or something far yeah. more easier than that, and they get the same experience. So there will be talk, there'll be lots of these race makers, there'll be lots of tours. They can all see that how small these saddles are that the jockeys go, uh, go on. They can look at what a jockey eats on a daily basis compared to Michael Phelps or something like that. Yeah. All those cool things that make people and people go, God, that was really quite interesting. Now I know a bit more. What a furlong is. Why horses wear blinkers? All this, why are we still stones and pounds is beyond me. But um, <laughs> those are the kind of things that we need to explain to people that then educate them. And then they, what they can then do, obviously, is next time they go, they know a bit more. They know what the paddock is. At the moment, you turn up this signage there and you wouldn't have a clue what it means from paddock to members enclosure to silvery. You know? Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. Look, and one of the one of the very cornerstones of the original CHR racing league idea was was to to simplify some of this stuff. Now, I, I'm not one for getting rid of tradition by any stretch, but there are explanatory pieces that can be done, and um, I I think you're you're dead right there. And and I think also what I really agree with you is, and this is what racing league's going to do with the amount of of money we're investing in media is bring racing to the audience rather than expect the audience to come to racing. I think that it's great that we've got the amazing festivals, Cheltenham, Ascot and the like, where people, <laughs> the audience flood to go and watch it. But the day-to-day -day stuff, we've got to push that on people a bit more. And, and other sports do it brilliantly. And we, you know, we should learn from those. Now, I'm conscious of time. So, Becky, I know you uh, one one last question from the youth of today, and this is about another side of the diversity discussion and this question's about female jockeys i think yeah so obviously racing is the only sport where men and women compete on equal terms but the question was why do we still have a problem in attracting female jockeys um if you'd have asked me this question three years ago i'd agree i'd 100 percent agree I don't, I'm now, we're now on a trajectory where I, I don't believe we've got a problem. We're not there yet, but mm. we're definitely on a trajectory where 
the problem is less than it. So 65% um, of people coming through the racing school are female. When I started working in racing, 80% were male. Mm. So there has been a huge change in, um, in that. Where we then struggled was that those, those females weren't getting, some were getting their apprentice license and then but not getting any rides and it not coming through. And obviously in France, they've addressed it by giving uh, the girls an extra three pound claim. We don't want to do that over here. And I don't blame the girls for, for turning that down. They want to compete on, on level terms. I think it's brilliant that the sport that we do. But now I think, you know, Hayley, not well, before Hayley, it was Alex Greaves and, um, and Joe Badger and people like that that knocked a, knocked a few walls down. Hayley has been fantastic at knocking those walls down. And the great thing is she comes from a little village not far from where I was brought up uh, near Subble. Her mum ran the riding school. So I've known Hayley since she was in, uh, in junior school, sort of up there, and was always a fantastic rider. But it's great that she doesn't speak with a plum in her mouth or, you know, it is just a, a Middle England um, yeah. lady and a lovely lady with it, you know, but she's an, and a brilliant rider. But remember, she retired and came back. Um, but now you only have to look at apprentice races and i would say that uh, this isn't a, a firm stat i'd say there's probably a, a third now uh, and when you look at apprentice races of girls riding it was where we struggle is at jump racing and and but it was brilliant to ask it the other day now uh, the first four races three were won by yeah. girls so it's it, it's starting to come in jumps but i can understand jump racing is very different to flat racing yeah and this is the second thing female the female uh, skeletal system is not as strong as a male skeletal system and I can I have the scars to show you that, it, that you need quite a strong skeletal system if you're riding over jumps and you're falling statistically one in 12 rides. Yeah and um, we are super super excited about um, the female jockeys we hope are going to be uh, participating in the racing league and trying to raise their profile uh, obviously profile going up all the time Holly Doyle is obviously doing wonders for that but there are lots more uh, coming up now uh, we are almost out of time but you've now got to answer the deadly nine questions that Becky tries to slaughter everyone with who comes on Racing Matters podcast so fire away youth of today yeah so it's a game of this or that so I'll present you with two options and you tell me which you prefer so I think I already know the answer to the first one but I'm going to ask it (laughs) pardon I prefer you, not Ollie. Okay. <laughs> so number one, we've got Cheltenham or Ascot. Cheltenham. Yeah, thought so. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Cats. Sunset or sunrise? Sunrise. City or countryside? Countryside. Bar or pub? Pub. Red wine or white wine? Football or rugby? Rugby. And final question, sprinters or stayers? Stayers. Of course. You were doing so well at the beginning. You were just so like direct, like this one, this one, this one. And then I think it was bar or pub really got you. That uh, that was a massive (laughs) curveball, that one. (laughs) It was nearly, I I nearly went rosé on the red and white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I think that... um, Josh, you're doing great things uh, in in this area uh, overall. And um, we're obviously here to help where we can. And as we kick into next year and as the Racing League builds and we start doing all of our 
content and momentum. We're certainly going to try and help you out wherever we can. We could talk about it all day. I certainly could. And we would still not really scratch the surface. But um, I urge anyone who is listening who hasn't seen the, uh, the documentaries with Sean and Suleika to, to check them out. And um, it's a bit of an eye-opener, actually, uh, and, and pretty inspirational at the same time. So well done on that, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Um, and I hope you have a good rest of uh, the month um, in splendid <laughs> isolation. Yeah. Um, I know. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, anyone listening, um, we'll update you on who our guest is as and when. See you. Thank you.